You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. It's also a very special Sunday because today is Palm Sunday. So everyone's got your palms. Yeah, um, Palm Sunday. And I have to admit, like this past week on Monday, we were talking about Palm Sunday and how everyone has a different experience with Palm Sunday growing up. We all came from like different churches and stuff, and some did have palms and some didn't have palms, and, and we talked about our experience of Palm Sunday. And it's just kind of interesting, I, since I've been here, we've always had palms. I don't always remember that in my past, but it's like, what is the point of the palm? Is Jesus going to come in on a donkey? We get to sing his aunt, you know, and it's the skeptic in me, right? Um, and I always looked at it as like, this is kind of like a, um, a Christian like fidget spinner, you know? It's like you're in your seat and you're weaving it into a cross, right? Or you're like just playing with it. And me as a kid, I always used to like tickle somebody with it or something. Because like that's what I used it for. But anyway, it's a very important symbol that we're going to look at today that is actually very practical for us today. Um, so before we get into God's word and the learning, and the growing together. Let's spend some time in prayer um, before we do so. God, I just want to thank you for today. Lord, yes, it's, it's dark, it's dreary outside, but Lord, your hope is new. Your hope is wonderful. And Lord, today we are going to spend some time within your word, and I pray that you would reveal yourself to us. Don't allow it to just be something that's, that is history, God. Allow it to be something that changes our story today. And I pray this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. So if you would, if I invite you to go to the book of Luke, chapter 19. That is where we are going to be spending most of our time today. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab the pew Bible there in front of you. That's page 878. So you can go ahead and turn there. Now, what's interesting about the Bible is that we have the Gospels that record the similar Um, stories from Jesus's life. And all four of the Gospels hold the triumphal entry. But today we're going to be holding out in the book of Luke, and for good reason. But before we get into it, I want to give you guys some context, okay? Some context is key, because we just got out of 1 Peter. We just also had like a special mission Sunday, and we're coming right into Jesus. And I don't know, you know, we've, we've grown up hearing about Jesus, learning about Jesus. We know some things about Jesus, but I just, we just need to do a quick context run through with Jesus, okay? Because I have three kids, and you, if you have kids, you know that context is key in discerning what is going on in that moment, right? Because there are times we were out of the room, we walk into the living room, and my kids have all the cushions off the couch on, in a big pile, in a big tower. My kids are dressed to the hilt. They all have costumes on, you know, and one has her, her, her dress on, her church shoes on, and she's got a, a, a winter beanie cap on with a plastic bucket on top of that with earmuffs on top of that and, and with mittens. And I'm, what are you doing? <laughs> it just looks like chaos, and the house is a wreck. But as, as you ask them and ascertain what's going on, the context is, is they are reenacting Frozen 2. <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed that, but okay. <laughs> All those things combined means we're going to reenact Frozen 2. But in their mind, that's the story that's going on. And, and we need to see the story that's going on with Jesus right now. So we're going to look at the path of the king. So really quickly... Jesus is the Son of God, 
born of a virgin. Yep, all the way back to Christmas, I went there. Born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, which is up in Galilee. He started his earthly ministry at the age of 30, where he was baptized by his cousin John in the Jordan, where he was tested in the wilderness by Satan, and he didn't give in. Then he went and he picked his 12 disciples who would follow him for those three and a half years. And then we see that he teached, he teach, sorry, he taught, he lived differently. He, he lived in such a way that he taught with authority. He confounded the religious leaders. But yet he loved the outcasts, the lost, um, the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. He loved them. And he lived and loved in a way that no one had ever done before. On top of this, he performed countless miracles, healing the sick, causing the blind to see, the mute to speak, the lame to walk, casted out demons, raised people from the dead. He walked on water, and oh, he controlled a storm with three words, peace, be still. Amongst many of these and many more miracles, we see that God used these works and wonders to prove his deity and his message. Now, Jesus... This is the latter part of his ministry and life, and his popularity, you can imagine, is growing. And this is all growing to a point, actually, to coming from Jesus, going to the triumphal entry, is, is, is the biggest event that leads to this is actually the resurrection of Lazarus. In John chapter 11, we see that Jesus arrives late to heal Lazarus. He's been sick, he's been called upon to come and heal, and he arrives late. So late, in fact, that Lazarus has now been dead for four days, and Jesus comes. And this was all part of his plan, we see, to show them that he is indeed the resurrection and the life. See, no one had ever seen this miracle before. No one has ever seen somebody who's been dead for four days um, rise from the dead. I mean, at that point, the body has started to do dead body things, right? It's starting to smell, starting to do other dead body things, and now he's alive. Lazarus is alive. And this is the biggest event leading up to the triumphal entry. So Jesus, basically, in our terminology today, Jesus has gone viral, okay, in a good way. Everyone has heard about him. Everyone is hearing of his testimony and what he is doing. And it's an amazing, it's amazing stuff. But then from there, um, he does other miracles along the way. And actually, what it he makes the religious leaders so frustrated and angry because he raised Lazarus from the dead. They are committed now to killing Jesus. And so I actually just really quickly want to show you a map, okay, and just give you a little bit of context. But this is Israel over here. You can't really see it, but down here is Jerusalem, Bethany. That's where he raised Lazarus. But then he actually goes up here to a place called Ephraim and kind of hides out for a little bit. Because Passover is coming quickly, and people are asking, is Jesus going to even come to the Passover? Because they, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they have, like, wanted posters of Jesus, okay, out everywhere. They're, they want to really get him. But he actually goes north. The historians and theo, uh, theologians think that he went north and actually got into Galilee. And you're like, why? Why did he do that? Isn't Passover coming, and isn't he going to go to the Passover? And he is. He gathers, he goes with a bunch of other um, Jews that are coming down for Passover. So he's actually traveling in numbers, which is smart. But then on top of that, um, he's doing miracles along the way, which now something we can't really comprehend is that this time of Passover, thousands of people would come to Jerusalem, this one place, for 
Passover celebration, to the point where historians believe that Jerusalem would triple in size, bringing anywhere from one to two million people into a size of a, of a town that's twice the size of Scranton. Like, can we imagine that? That's a lot of people. Now Jesus is traveling with all these people. They're seeing all these sights and wonders and amazing things, and this is just paving the way for something really amazing, paving the way for God to do something great. Because what I found when I was studying this is Jesus was about to do something that he had never done before. He was going to allow his followers to give him a public demonstration in his honor. Never, he had never allowed that before. And so let's look at this story. And we're going to look at the prophecy of the king. So you can pick up in chapter 19, verse 28. It says this. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem, when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet. He sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say to them, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said to him, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. Pause. My junior high mind is going crazy at this point, right? Did Jesus just tell his disciples to go steal a donkey, right? If you've spent any time with junior high, especially boys, it's a lot of fun. They come up with some amazing thoughts, right? Did Jesus just tell them to go steal a donkey? Did he do some sweet Jedi move where he's like, the Lord has need of it, right? And then they were able to get the donkey? No, okay? Jesus is not pulling Jedi moves. He's not um, saying, go steal a donkey. It's this. Jesus is showing his omniscience, his all-knowingness. He knew where the donkey would be. He knew the owner, who who he was. He knew that the owner would be happy to donate his donkey to the Lord's doing. Sorry. But why a donkey? Why not not a camel? You know, why not a horse, for that matter? Why not, if you're Jesus, why not a lion? (laughs) Sorry, junior high mind again. Um, Why not something amazing? Why a donkey? We look at donkeys as being a work animal, as being um, this beast of burden, of being a, a really difficult animal to work with, right? And here Jesus wants to ride a donkey. On top of that, a donkey that's never been ridden before. Like, that's just a recipe for disaster, right? But instead, this isn't just a neat trick that Jesus is performing. It's actually his plan to fulfill an ancient prophecy 500 years, written 500 years before this moment. In Zechariah 9.9, it says this. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. What's interesting about the donkey is, in our day and age, the donkey is a beast of burden. It's it's a, a stubborn animal. But to the Jews, it was an animal of royalty. And an animal of royalty, and if someone rode on it of royalty, they were bringing peace. This is important for later to note. 
is that Jesus was fulfilling this prophecy because he was the Christ. He was the Messiah. He was the King of Israel and the Prince of Peace. See, Jesus is announcing right now that he came in peace to provide peace. This is kind of the one thing as I've looked through the scriptures for this passage and for us today and for us to apply to our life. Jesus came in peace, indeed to provide peace. Because if Jesus came on a horse, they would have thought that he was coming for war. If he would have come on a camel, they would have thought him as arrogant. If he would have come on a lion, I don't know what they would have thought. Honestly, don't. But Jesus rode in on a donkey to prove that he was the coming Messiah, that he was the Prince of Peace. And now that Jesus has his noble steed, let's see what happens next. Look at verse 35. And, uh, and they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their coats on the colt, they set Jesus on it, and, and he rode along, um, and he rode along. They spread their, their cloaks on the road, and as, and as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice, with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees of the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And now here we see the excitement of the parade. Now we see the crowds of people coming together, a great multitude with great excitement and anticipation of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. These were people that he had traveled with from Galilee, where they had seen him do miracles along the way in in his teaching. These are people who had heard or seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. And so they're praising him for who he is and what he has done. They're praising his name for being the son of David. And they roll out the Hebrew red carpet, where they lay their coats out, in front of the donkey and in front of Jesus as he's walking on the road up to Jerusalem. It had to be quite a sight to see. And then they took palm branches from the trees. And like, why palm branches? And doing some research, palm branches symbolized victory. Victory and peace. And so as they continue to praise their, in, in Luke 19.38, they say, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, and glory in the highest. Basically, what they're saying is, you are the king, and the only true place where peace is found is in heaven. And you are Jesus. You have come down from heaven to us to bring us peace. And they're praising him for that. Matthew 21.9 says this. He says, Hosanna. We sang that this morning. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, Hosanna means save now. So they're saying, you are God. You are bringing peace. Save us now. See, this parade accomplished two very important things. It it, it declared that Jesus was the king of Israel and the Christ. And it also deliberately challenged the religious leaders to make a move. See, all along Jesus' life and ministry, he has been telling people once he's healed them to stay silent. Don't go and tell other people. That didn't always work. They would, you know, they would go and they were obviously with excitement. They're now able to walk. And there's a Jesus healed me. And, and, and the, why did Jesus want 
his ministry to be quiet? Well, because his time, he would say this, my time has not yet come. But now he knows the time, and now the time has come, and, he, and it's working. The religious leaders are ticked. They are upset. They are mad. And to the point where they are asking Jesus to quiet the crowds. They're asking him to, to silence those who are singing and praising him. And his response to that is, this has been planned for a long time. And if the people stop praising me, the rocks will break character and will start to sing. The first rock song. Sorry, dad joke. I know. But something else happens here. Something else happens here which is crucial and of such importance as they come closer to the city. And Luke records it for us. In Luke 19, verses 41 through 44, we see the peace of the king denied. So let's look here. And when he drew near, he saw the city. He wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now this is the sad part of the triumphal entry. The one that we sometimes overlook and we think, yay, Hosanna, everyone's praising him, and they are. But as they get closer, Jesus is getting closer to the city. He sees the city, and it's almost as if he's transported from like present time. This is how I envision it, but he get, he's transported from present time to AD 70, when Titus of Rome would come and besiege the city for 143 days. That means no food. That means no water. That means no resources getting into the city. And would lay such waste to the city that um, Josephus, who's a Roman historian, records this about the destruction of Israel. He says, It was so thoroughly laid, even with the ground, that there was left nothing to make those that came near believe it had even been inhabited. And Jesus sees this. He sees the suffering. He sees the pain. And, it's, and he says that you have missed the moment of my visitation. You see Jesus' heart. He weeps a second time recorded in history. First for Lazarus at his, at his death and burial there. But then he raises him from the dead. But then he weeps over Jerusalem. He weeps over those people who would deny his free gift that he was offering. This peace needed to be personally accepted by them. And though they were praising him in this moment, many would not accept this free gift, would not understand his means for coming in and, and saving the world the way that he did. They would choose to reject his salvation and ultimately the things that would make for peace. And because of this, the people would end up experiencing the penalty of rejecting this peace. You see, everything Jesus did pointed to peace. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, chose to ride a donkey's colt symbolizing royalty coming in peace. 
He chose to be praised with palm branches, symbolizing victory and peace. And he entered Jerusalem, which guess what? Jerusalem's name is Inhabitants or City of Peace. Everything points to peace. This victory that Jesus, this triumphal entry that Jesus came in this day, thousands of years ago, it shows us the peace of God. He showed us that he came into Jerusalem to offer our greatest need, is that peace with God. You know, as young people um, in school, we learn about the greater than symbol, right? It kind of looks like the alligator, and that's kind of like how we remember. How many of you remember learning about that in school and drawing little teeth on that? Yes, a couple of you. Some of you yeah, maybe not so long ago. It feels others us a long time ago. But you all remember it, right? The greater than symbol. And, and Jesus knows the greatest need. You know, which is greater, four or two? Well, obviously four. Which is, which is greater, an ounce or a ton? You know, we kind of learn these things, and they're important things to know, right? Um, and Jesus knows these things too. And he knows that it's more important for the Jews that their greatest need be taken care of. And no, it's not the removal of the Roman rule. That's what many of them wanted. Many of them wanted him to come and remove Rome so that they could have peace in the land. But instead, he came to bring peace with God and to bring them their greatest need. Peace with God has always been his mission. As we look back over the course of this book of Luke, um, when Luke wrote it and when he started off, he started with the Christmas story. He started with how Jesus came. In Luke chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, it says, And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Guys, I've just been looking at this, and the triumphal entry is, is peace with God. He is showing that he has brought peace. He has been born for the point of peace on the cross. He rode a donkey for the purpose of fulfilling prophecy for the peace on the cross. He was being praised with palm branches so that people could see that he was being praised for the victory that would become peace at the cross. And even to the point where when he was weeping, as he approached Jerusalem, he wept because they would deny his peace at the cross. So the question is now, what about us? Have we received this peace from Jesus? Have we received this peace from the cross? In Colossians 1, 19 through 20, it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This verse is saying, Jesus, being fully God, became fully man to take fully the sins of the world on himself at the cross so that you and I could have full peace with God. How? In Romans 5.1 it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you do not have this peace yet, I want to encourage you, don't leave this room without receiving this free gift, this peace that Jesus came to offer at the cross. 
It is a gift. And we receive it by faith. It's not about a performance that we can even ascertain or, or, or achieve. It is more receiving the payment that was made on our behalf. And this is the gospel. So if any of you in here have not yet received that free gift, I want to encourage you. We, we, we praise God for the, the, the two, two children that came to Christ over the past several weeks. And this is really as simple as it is. This is admitting that we're a sinner, that we've fallen short of God's grace, that we've sinned, believing that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, taking the full penalty for our sins. And spoiler alert, died, rose again next week. We celebrate that, amen? And rising from the dead, proving that he has power over death, over sin, and over the grave, and has the ability to promise us eternal life. And then lastly, calling upon the name of the Lord. Asking him to be your Lord and Savior today. I encourage you, don't leave this room. You can do this anytime, but don't leave this room until you do that. Because you don't want to be like Jerusalem where they missed their time of visitation. None of us are promised any amount of time. None of us are promised tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow brings. And so it's good to make right our relationship with God first, because if not, something worse than Jerusalem's fall will happen to us. We will be eternally separated from God if we do not have peace with God, if we do not have a relationship with God. Now, if you already have God's peace, if you have salvation, I want to encourage you today to live in that peace. Allow that peace with God to change your perspective on what is more valuable on this earth. See, a lot of times we look at peace being the abstinence or um, the absence of conflict. If there's nothing bad going on, I have peace. That's not always true. True biblical peace is the assurance of God's love. See, Jesus, I think of it this way, when Jesus came, he did miracles and wonders, and, and one of the ones that stands out to me is, is when he was on the sea and, and the disciples were freaking out because the ocean waves were crashing in and they all thought they were going to die. And I mentioned it before. He, he, he got up and said, peace, be still. Three words. Everything was calm. And they're all amazed. And you are the son of God, right? God can do that. Jesus can come in and do that in our lives. He can take those storms that we have in our life and calm them. He doesn't always do that, but he can do that. But I also look at another set of three words that Jesus spoke that shows his, that he chose the greater need. He chose to assure, assure us of his love. And those are the three words on the cross. It is finished. Those are the ones that are stronger than peace be still. It is finished. Paying for the complete payment for our sins so that we can have that relationship with him, so that we can experience his love, so we can have that confidence to go through any circumstance here on earth and have peace because of his love. I love how Paul wraps up Philippians in chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And in case we missed it, he says, again I say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. 
the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, supplication, and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Guys, our relationship with God has a drastic effect on how we handle life and how we handle circumstances. We can go through storms and we can go through hard times with the peace of God, with the confidence of his love. So I want to encourage you with that today, is that Jesus came in peace to provide peace. So is he your peace today? And will you strengthen your peace in him today? I'd like to invite the praise team to come up at this time as we close out our service. And if you have your palm, if you haven't somehow masterfully woven it into a cross by now, I want to allow this palm to remind you of something. It folds. It's a greater than symbol. A lot of times we seek to make us great and have peace with us, peace with ourselves and peace with other people. But ultimately, we need to make sure this palm is facing the right way. God is greater. Amen? Greater than me. So much greater than me. God is greater. Let's keep our palms in the right place. Praising God for being victorious and bringing us peace. Let's pray. God, we rejoice in you. We praise you for your mighty works. We thank you for your word. We pray, God, that we would be real testimonies of your greatness and of your grace. That we would be good testimonies of your peace. God, you are in full control. We trust you. Help us not to be anxious about so many things that are going on in our life that try to steal our peace or redirect our peace. Lord, your peace is surpassing None of us can understand the full breadth of its amazing work. And God, will you guide us? On top of that, will you guard our hearts and minds in this peace in Christ Jesus? God, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you for this day. The day that the Lord has made, that you have made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.